Well, good morning, church. We are in a series on strongholds as we recognize that we live in a spiritual world. And at times there are things that quite literally have a strong hold on us, things unseen, but nonetheless reality, that when we don't address them, they prevent us from living fully all that God has for us, all that God wants to do in and through us. Things that hold us back, things that hold us in from the mission of God. And today we're talking about the stronghold of prejudice. Now let me just say up front, because I felt it in the first service, today is uncomfortable. I'm just going to put it out there. But that's okay. It's actually a good thing because the, the word of God is living and breathing. It cuts to bone and marrow. And if we don't allow ourselves to be uncomfortable and let the word of God work on us, then we'll never be transformed as God wants to transform us. And so you have two options today, or three options, really. you have three options. Number one is you can let the discomfort overwhelm you and shut down. Or you can tell yourself that this doesn't apply to you and you can deflect it to your neighbor or you can say, Holy Spirit, say what you need to say to me. And so I'm going to invite us to have that posture as we come in today and we talk about the stronghold of prejudice. All right, so first let's define what we're talking about. When we say prejudice in our context, this is what we mean. There we go. It's a chronic and unhelpful view of others based on bias or deceit. It's chronic, meaning that it's ongoing. It it's becomes a part of our thinking and feeling and worldview. And it's unhelpful because the view that we have of others can so often prevent us from loving them, from being in relationship with them, from serving them, from living a way to lift them up. And it's so often based on either bias or deceit that sometimes there's just uh, things ingrained in me based on experience or family of origin that I don't realize that it's created a framework for me that's unhelpful because it's bias. Or it can be based on lies that I've bought into and believe to be truth. And they prevent me from loving and serving others the way that God has called me to love and serve them. It can be racism. It can be about social or economic uh, class. It can be about deep cultural divides. It, it can be a number of different things that we believe about others that are unhelpful, prevent us from loving and serving them based on bias or lies that we buy into. Now, similar to when we talked about the stronghold of pride, Prejudice has a way of blinding us. Prejudice can be so uncomfortable and we want to be good people that we don't see it at work in our own hearts and minds. And so we need some questions to help us reflect on, could it be that prejudice has a hold on my heart or mind? Here's a question to think about. When you encounter someone who's not like you, is your dominant first emotion one of fear? If so, it might be that prejudice has its hold on you in some way in your heart or mind. Uh, here's another question. 
When you see someone else struggling or uh, having a difficult season in life and they don't have the life that you have, they, they look different from you, do you jump to assumptions about how they got there rather than trying to practice empathy on what, it likes, what it's like to be in their life? When we jump to those quick assumptions, it might be that prejudice is at work in our lives. Here's another question. When you see people who are different from you, do you see that as a barrier to relationship? Or could it be that, that it's a gift? If we see it as a barrier, it might be that prejudice is at work in our life. Or here's a, a question that I've been wrestling with over the last couple of days preparing for this. Perhaps this is the one that is most dominant in church culture. When I see people who are different from me, do I tend to look at myself as a person who can save them from their predicament without ever asking what can I learn from this person as a human being? Because when I began to take on that savior complex, it might just be, or it probably is, prejudice at work in my heart and in my mind. And as I look at the call of Jesus, as I look at the mission that we have, to love and serve others, to bring the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world to save sinners, to do what we couldn't do. That mission is way too important to let discomfort keep me from letting the Holy Spirit root out prejudice in my heart. To let the Holy Spirit root out anything that would prevent me from loving and serving another person in the name of Jesus. And so my call upon us today is embrace the discomfort and say, Lord, number one, I need to confess any place in my heart where prejudice is at work and I need to repent and change direction and God, please do what only you can do and transform my heart. Because I wanna reflect you in every relationship with every encounter that I have in this life. Because one day Jesus is gonna come again and every word and every action until that day matters. So will we come to God with that humility, with that, that humble heart? Now, as we talk about bringing down the stronghold of prejudice, one of these strongholds that prevents us as a church from living out the mission of God, we have to understand that to bring it down, the, the foundation is to embrace the sacred worth in every person that lives and breathes. That every person is created in the image of God and thus they have a worth that is bestowed upon them by God. And we as a church need to take back the calling and the mission to love people and bestow worth. And we have a very important choice between the way of the world and the way of Jesus. And this is so important for, for us to clarify on the front end because guys, we, we are so often missing it. And there are other powers and systems and people who are claiming the ability to bestow worth in a way that's not healthy or true. So we've got a choice between the world and the way of Jesus. Now, when I say the way of the world, I don't just mean the world in general. I mean every person, power, and system that is not connected to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And foundationally, and just by definition, every power, person, system that is not connected to Jesus 
is not rooted in the truth that is God. And so here's what happens with the way of the world. There are well-meaning people who want to make a positive difference in the world, who want to tell people where they get their worth from. But the problem is, is they don't know where worth comes from because they don't know God. And so there are people and systems in power that claim the authority to tell people where you get worth. And in our culture today, the, where that worth comes from is when you agree with that person, system, or, or, or group that's in power and their ideology and the ideology of today is rooted in do what you feel is good, do what makes you feel good, serve yourself. That's the highest good to be true to yourself. Even if your heart is deceiving you, be true to that heart. That's the ideology of the, the highest good today. And what happens in the world is if you don't agree with that, if you don't tolerate that ideology, then you are silenced or canceled. And here's what's taking place. As is those powers and systems and people silence or cancel others, they give themselves the feeling of righteousness without actually doing anything to actually be righteous. But there's a whole other way, which is the way of Jesus. It says people have a sacred inherent worth because they're created in the image of God and we are all born into this world under the power of sin and a deep need of God's grace and mercy that is given to us through the work of Jesus and every single person is offered that gift. And knowing that we are all in need of and offered that grace is what breaks down this stronghold of prejudice because we're all in the same boat. And we all have the incredible, unending, unbounding love of a God, a, a spiritual father who wants to work in our lives and do what we cannot do for ourselves. And we've got to understand the difference between those two of a world that says you will have worth if you do this and a God who says you have worth because I created you with it. And we have got to take back the calling of the church that the world has hijacked to help people understand where their worth is. This is critical for us to get that. And as we look through this calling and we look through the truth of God, there is no room, there is no basis for prejudice in our life. Now, Paul talks about this. He writes a letter to the Ephesian church and he's laying out the call of the church to be spiritual leaders in a very real and tangible world to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And in this letter, he addresses one huge problem of the first century that's also a problem of our world. It's not hard to look around and see political division, racial division, economic division, cultural division, all kinds of things that divide us. You can look around everywhere. It was the same in Paul's day. And he's writing to address this one issue Helping the church to understand if we don't get this right, it's going to be very difficult for us to take the good news of Jesus to the world. Because here's the truth, guys. Nobody wants to hear about the love of your Jesus when we can't even love the other people around us. So this is what Paul says. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, 
so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, that's all of us. If, if you're not Jewish, then you're a Gentile. All of us Gentiles were born by birth are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now here's our, our theme verse, our central verse for today, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the one, to the Father by the one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple and the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. All right, a lot of scripture for us to chew on. Let's break this down. All right, the foundation of what Paul says here is that Christ in coming to the world and taking our sin into his body and dying a criminal's death, going to the grave, destroying death and rising back again, giving us new hope has created a new life for every person who would believe by faith. Two groups joined as one, not by their effort or ideology or tolerance, but by the work that only God could do. A new thing, a new humanity. And Paul says that Jesus, he has broken down the wall of hostility. Now, what is he talking about? Well, in the first century, many scholars point to there was a wall in the temple uh, courts that separated the Hebrews from the Gentiles. And if you were a Jewish person, you could go beyond that uh, wall that fence, and you could go further and closer into the Holy of Holies toward the presence of God. You couldn't go into the Holy of Holies, but you could get closer. Well, all the Gentiles had to stay beyond that. And in a lot of ways, Paul is using this as a metaphor to help us understand that God is doing a new thing, but it is so much bigger than that. Josephus talks about, a Jewish historian of the first century, talks about this wall in the temple courts but he does not call it a wall. He calls it a stone fence. And in fact, the archeological finds of the temple area shows an inscription that also calls it a stone fence. 
But that is not the word that Paul uses in describing the wall of hostility. He actually uses a word that means a a wall or a hedge. And what is he talking about? Well, this word that he uses, this hedge, is descriptive of something that was prevalent in Jewish life of Jesus' day. If you were a good Jew and you were trying to follow God, you had two sources that you leaned on. One was the Old Testament, the first 39 books of the Bible, Genesis through Malachi. But there was a second that in the time of Jesus had actually even become more important than the Old Testament. It was something called, that we now call the Mishnah. It was the oral teaching of the rabbis. The oral uh, rules, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, that there were 613 rules that the Jewish people had to try to follow. These weren't from the Old Testament. They were interpretations of the Old Testament by oral teaching of the, the rabbis. And the rabbis had a saying that they would take the Old Testament, the words of God, and they would create a hedge around it to interpret what it means for us to follow God. Now, these well-meaning people who wanted to follow and honor God had interwoven their own worldview, their own system of thinking and feeling and seeing God and others. They had woven it together with the word of God and they had created a system that actually separated one person from another. And Paul says that Jesus came to break down any worldview, any system, any thinking, any feeling that would separate us from one another. Why? Because none of us deserve God's love, but all of us are given it freely as a gift by the grace of God, by faith in Jesus. And we are all joined together as children of God. That's what God offers. Now, here's the thing. A lot of us too, well-meaning people who wanna love God and serve others also tend to have worldviews or systems of thinking or feeling that would separate us from others. Now, before we let that overwhelm us or we deflect it, I pray that you let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart and ask the question, Lord, where do I have worldviews or systems of thinking or feeling that would separate me from others, that make it harder to love and serve and share Jesus with people who don't look like me. Because the call of Jesus is to let the Spirit of God break down those walls. Because we all receive mercy and grace and salvation by grace. Not your ideology, not your ethnicity, or the color of your skin, your political persuasion, or the culture you ascribe to, but by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And that's a hard truth for us to wrestle with. But the mission of God is too important for us to not to. The good news is too important to share with the world, to not wrestle with this, that there are people in DeSoto County and Memphis and around the world that need to know the good news of Jesus. And we hold ourselves back because we're afraid of being with people who are different. And we tell ourselves lies to make ourselves feel better. We surround ourselves with people who look just like us so that we don't have to deal with it. And yet there's a world that's dying that needs the good news. 
But here's the thing is that we don't have to beat ourselves up because the Holy Spirit wants to redeem and restore every sin, including the prejudice that would hold us back. And we can embrace this truth. We can embrace God's work in us that we can step more fully into the mission. Now to do that, what we can do is we can help and encourage each other by embracing three biblical truths that help transform our thinking and our feeling. So let's look at these three truths that will help us embrace this. Bring down the stronghold of prejudice. Number one is I need to understand that no one is superior and no one is inferior. No one is above, no one is below. No one is better, no one is worse. Let's take a look. What, what did Paul say? Ephesians 2 verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Now look. Let me help you understand here. When Paul talks about works, he's not just talking about behavior. He's also talking about pedigree. He's talking about education. He's talking about family origin. He's talking about your culture. All the things that make you who you are or who we believe to be who we are. This is what Paul's talking about. He says, none of that is going to ever earn you salvation. It is by grace. It's a gift of God. He says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We jump into verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We have this free gift that was given to us by God so that we could do the things of God that he planned for us to do. Why? It's not for our benefit only, but it's to bring glory to God and love to others. And every single one of us need this gift. Every single one of us are broken and we need saving, we need redemption. We're born into sin and God's grace saves us. His spirit wants to transform us that we no longer live in sin, but we are transformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. That is a gift of God when we surrender and receive it. And here's one thing that we must commit to stop doing as a church. We have got to stop ranking sin of the world where we whitewash our own failures and we condemn others for their failures in their life because it's different and it's easier to point to them than to deal with our own stuff. And we point to somebody's circumstance and situation and we can so easily condemn when their problems don't look like ours. And we can put up a wall and make ourselves feel better and have a, a perceived righteousness that requires actual no behavior or change to actually be righteous. Y'all, that's the way of the world. That's not the way of Jesus. And we're all in this need of God's love and mercy and grace together. Here's a second truth. Is that diversity actually increases my experience of Jesus. It doesn't diminish it. It doesn't decrease it. It increases my experience of Jesus. Look at what Paul writes. Same chapter, chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. How? By setting aside in his flesh the law with its command, commands and regulations. Why did he do that? Well, here it is. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, 
thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Look at this line right here. He created two groups into one. Why? To reconcile both of them to God. In other words, God brings us together with people who don't look like us for the very purpose that I might know God and love God and be loved by him more than I was before. It's almost as if God created it as a necessity that we would know him better through others who don't look like us. Sometimes the greatest gift we have in another person is that their differences allow us to see the blind spots in our own life, the brokenness and sin and places that need work that we would never address otherwise. Sometimes the gift is that as we see God work in the life of another person, we begin to open up into the work that he wants to do in us. Or what I love about the church when we come together with people who don't look like us and have different experiences, it opens up God's word to a more full and wonderful understanding of who God is and what God does. When we read God's word in isolation, when we read God's word with people who only think the same way that we do, we are missing out on the fullness of God's truth. And when we embrace people who don't look like us and we break down the wall of prejudice, there's a whole world of truth and power that God begins to unpack for us. All right, number three, God has a mission that requires reconciliation. Guys, this, this is not a suggestion. It's not a, hey, you might want to think about this. No, the mission that we have requires us to be reconciled. One last time, look at what Paul writes, Ephesians 2, verse 18. For through him, we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets of Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Here's what Paul is saying. Is that God has designed the work that we have, the mission that we have, and the life that we have. That we would join together by the Holy Spirit becoming a dwelling place of God on the world to take the light and the truth and the love of God to the dark places, to the hurting and the broken. And what Paul is saying to us is we absolutely cannot do that alone. Now there's some very practical reasons for that. One is we need to learn from each other. But here's another one that's so very critical. There are people out in this world, in DeSoto County and Memphis and, and all over this globe, that not a person in this room can reach effectively in the same way that somebody who doesn't look like us. We need the diversity, the, the fullness of God's kingdom to be able to reach a diverse world. And the mission is way too important to let fear, to let divisions, 
to let bias or deception separate us from one another that we can't live that out? How in the world are we supposed to take a message of love of the good news, the saving work of Jesus to the world when the church is fighting with one another because we don't look the same? Paul says that Jesus becomes our peace. That word, it doesn't just mean a lack of conflict. It means that all things are right and as they should be and we're in unity together. And what this requires of us is some intentional effort because this will not happen by accident. One of the most heartbreaking realities of America, the American church, is we have a message of unity and yet the worship hour on Sunday is the most segregated hour of the entire week. We have a message of unity and a new life together and yet so many Christians continue to operate in our prejudices against people who don't look like us. Even if it manifests itself in a way where I think I'm gonna go save somebody who's less than me, but I'm not gonna learn anything from them. That's still prejudice. And the Holy Spirit needs to work on my heart. He needs to work on your heart that we could live more fully into the mission that God has for us. And that takes intentional effort to get to know people who are not like me, to pray for them, to pray for the Holy Spirit, to, to work in, in our church. And here's the great news about this local body of Christ is that we're already one step into it because this church, I'm so grateful, manifests love and kindness and generosity and welcoming and, and you're authentic and we want to love people well. All we need to do is to take the next step and say, God, we wanna be intentional about reflecting your kingdom on this earth and reach people that nobody else is reaching even when they don't look like us. And I believe that when we pray that prayer authentically and we mean it, that God will be faithful to answer it. But we gotta be intentional. And what we're ultimately praying for here is revival. Because what's happening in the world, guys, it, it is a false gospel. It cloaks itself in good news, but it is not good news. It's people who are trying to say, here's worth, but it's shifting and changing and it's, it can never be reached when we have an unchanging, rooted in truth, forever worth that never goes away. We have the real good news and we need to claim back the mission that the world has hijacked. But it takes prayer, it takes intentional action and what we're really after is revival, that the church will be revived toward our mission. And we talked about this the first couple of weeks is that what this requires of us, for us to have revival, it means that we've got to have prayer and repentance. That we pray, number one, God, would you do what only you can do? God, would you lead me to understand my own sin and to bring it in confession? And Lord, when I understand, I will change my direction with the encouragement and help of my brothers and sisters. With the help of your word, with the empowerment of your Holy Spirit, God, I will change direction. That I will actually look different from the rest of the world. And so I want to invite us to, to think about three prayers that we can pray. And then we're going to close out with a prayer together. But would we have the courage to pray, Lord, 
Would you make me aware of my prejudices? Because it's not just, I'm not calling us racist. I'm not, I'm not calling us, you know, bigots. I'm just saying we have things about other people that make us uncomfortable. And it might be cultural, it might be political, it might be something else, but there are things about others that when I get in that presence, it makes me feel uncomfortable where I can't fully love and serve that person. And that's not okay. God wants to root that out of us. And so God, would you make me aware of where I've got prejudices at work in my life? And then would you pray, Lord, as I become aware, I'm gonna confess it. And Lord, would you give me the desire and the ability to change direction? to love people well. And all this is building on one another. We're not judging, we're not accusing. The Lord, he, he is the judge, not me. And I'm just gonna love people and point them to truth and serve them and humble myself after the example of Christ and you work out the rest. God, would you give me the desire and ability to do that? And then would we have the courage to pray, Lord, as I take these steps, would you completely transform the way I think and the way I feel that everything about me looks like Jesus? The one who came to break down the wall of every worldview, of every system, of every feeling that divides. Because our God does not come and stiff arm us. Our God says, I love you so much that I'm gonna send my son to you into the world to take on flesh, to give you a face and a voice and a life. And everything about our relationship with God was initiated by God. Even the faith that we have is initiated by the movement of the Holy Spirit toward us. We can't take credit for any of it. That's the kind of God we serve what would it mean for our hearts and minds and thoughts and feelings to reflect that? Guys, that doesn't come by willpower. It doesn't come by guilt. God doesn't give guilt. God convicts and he moves us toward him. It comes by prayer and submission and surrender. It comes by saying, Lord, you do what only you can do. And I believe with all my heart that as we do that together, God will honor that prayer. I believe with all my heart that revival will begin to take place. I believe with all my heart that our community will begin to transform, not with a false gospel, with a shifting worth and value and identity, but one is rooted in an unchanging good news, truth of God, that we are made in the image of God who sent his son Jesus to die for us so we could be saved by faith. I believe that that can happen. So what I wanna do, because I'm, this has to happen through prayers, we're gonna to pray together. So if you'll stand, we're gonna put a prayer up on the screen. You've got it in your bulletin if you wanna take it home with you and pray through it this week. We're gonna pray this prayer. We're gonna say amen and we're gonna sing one last song. If you wanna come spend some more time with the Lord, these prayer rails are available for you. You can pray on your own or wave somebody over. But this cannot just be words that we say because it's up on the screen. Just like every other Sunday, you can just go through the motions and leave this place not changed. What a tragedy that would be. 
And so if you want to continue time with the Lord, we invite you to pray where you are, pray at the rails. But let's pray these words together as one body. Heavenly Father, most of us battle prejudice in some way. For many of us, most of our prejudice is even hidden to ourselves. We pray that you would open our eyes to our need for compassion and reconciliation. We pray for wisdom to find a path for healing in our hearts and in our relationships. We pray for courage to build relationships with others that are different from us. We ask for forgiveness and we repent of our fears that drive us apart. We embrace you and the mission that you give to share the good news that peace comes through Jesus. We commit to share it with our words and our actions. Give us the desire and the ability to do what you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.